Welcome to Tempest in a Temenos, where two life coaches discuss esoteric issues related to life, relationships, finding purpose, and self-understanding. I'm Dr. Misty Marlowe. And I'm Suki, aka the Wild Soothsayer. This is episode two, where we are going to discuss anxiety and life coaching. And Suki and I discussed this and we thought this would be a very appropriate time to do our life coaching versus therapy disclaimer. Um, so therapy is not the only profession that owns psychology. <laughs> so lots of different jobs, lots of different vocations will use psychology. Uh, and life coaching is one of those vocations that's really gonna be a lot about applying psychology to help you thrive in your day-to-day -day life. With that being said, there are times where there are going to be certain issues that we discuss that um, it's going to happen along a continuum. And sometimes some of the issues psychologically might be on the end of the continuum where therapy would be more appropriate for you as compared to life coaching. So um, again, this is Dr. Misty Marlowe and, and you know my one iteration of my daily life, I am a mental health therapist. And I also do life coaching. So I, I'm juggling you know, both those tasks. So what I would tell you is that therapy is going to be more appropriate than life coaching when you are experiencing some level of clinically significant distress or impairment in functioning. And what I mean by that is that if you are ever experiencing anything from a psychological standpoint that makes you feel super distressed on a daily basis to where you're thinking about it like all the time and it really occupies your thoughts because you're so distressed about it. Uh, if you have anything happening for you psychologically that makes it difficult for you to go to work and do your job, anything that is happening for you that makes it difficult for you to maintain healthy interpersonal relationships, uh, if you're a college student and you have anything going on for you that makes it very difficult for you to consistently do your assignments for school and or attend class on a regular basis, that's where we're thinking more uh, about therapy because that is definitely generating medical necessity for you to see a licensed mental health therapist. For life coaching, you can have a lot of that same stuff going on but you're not so distressed to the point where it's occupying your every waking moment and you're not experiencing significant levels of impairment. For life coaching, there it, it you know, to everybody else, it might look like you're grooving along fine, uh, but your life just isn't where you want it to be. Or in general, your life might be grooving along just fine, but there's a particular goal for yourself that for whatever reason you feel like you can't get there. Um, so for this, I know this is a lot of gray area. There's a lot of room for interpretation for this. So I will put the disclaimer. You can always default and go for an assessment for a mental health therapist and they will either diagnose or not diagnose and let you know if you meet the criteria for a mental health disorder. If you go see a really good life coach, a certified life coach that has really good experience and training after the life coach gets to know you, they may say the issues that you're experiencing are um, clinically significant and would be more appropriate for you to go see a mental health therapist. And sometimes 
you may have one particular issue that you see a mental health therapist for and then other issues that you see a life coach for. Um, you can't even see a therapist and a life coach concurrently at the same time to work on different aspects of your life. It's just all about what you got time for and just how willing you are to grow and improve. Uh, and on that note, uh, we also did want to take a moment just to have a disclaimer. If you are concerned that you have uh, a mental health issue and like to find a therapist, you always have the option. If you have uh, insurance to go to your insurance company's website and do a provider search for um, behavioral health providers and you should be able to find someone in network in your local area. But if that's not your best option, or for some reason you don't have um, insurance, you can always go to psychologytoday.com. You can do a provider search in your local area, and they will frequently have listings for individuals that take self-pay or sliding scales. So you have lots of different options to get you some help. So that's our overall disclaimer. In summary, don't diagnose yourself. If you have a concern, just go see a therapist, get a diagnosis. Or if you're working with a, with a really good life coach, don't be offended if you go see them a couple of times and they say, you know, I think you need to go see a therapist for that. That's just their good judgment. And they're trying to help you out. So, um, so we'll follow that one away. But for today's topic, anxiety and life coaching, let's go ahead and get started. And um, let's talk about what we mean by anxiety. So anxiety is a part of everyone's life. It's a normal and healthy emotion. Um, but in some cases, it may reach a level where you need to address it. It's not just one bad day here or there. Now, for those disorders that I was talking about that you would go see a mental health therapist, this is where you have excessive nervousness, fear, apprehension, and worry that is dominating your life and is causing you clinically significant impairment. For life coaching, you may might have anxiety related to like one issue um, that's preventing your growth and preventing you from reaching goals. So Suki is going to speak to you a bit about what she does for clients that come see her in life coaching to make sure they get on track and they can meet those goals. So um, I call these my three rules for the road. Um, and these are good for dealing with anxiety and stress. So the first one is, and it's one of my favorites, don't should, and that's S-H-O-U-L-D, all over yourself. Um, we live in a world where people love to tell us what we should or should not be doing. Don't do that to yourself um, about whatever it is that's got you anxious or stressed. Um, these are your feelings. You are entitled to them. So don't tell yourself that you should or should not be feeling anything. That's not what this is for. Um, the other thing is don't compare your struggles to anyone else. It's apples to oranges, or as my wife loves to say, it's apples to kumquats. I have never had a kumquat, but I'm sure she's absolutely right in this. As many a husband who's been married for a long time will, will agree with me on this. Your wife is right. So, um, but don't, don't do that. Don't uh, compare your struggles to anybody else's. They are yours. You are entitled to feel however you feel about them. It's important that you know that. And the other one is you want to keep things in perspective. That's important, but don't minimize them. So don't add uh, tack language onto the end of them like, well, at least it's not, but it could be worse. Those kinds of things aren't helpful. That's minimizing language that diminishes the importance of how you're feeling. How you feel is valid. Okay, and you don't need anyone else to justify 
how you feel, whatever it is you're struggling with. It may seem perfectly minimal to them. That doesn't matter. What's important is that you know that your feelings are valid and they don't need to be minimalized. So if somebody else is telling you, you know, and, and one of the things I can remember from when I was young is that no matter what it was, there was all things starving children in Ethiopia, China, uh, far-flung places that made whatever I was upset about less important. Don't do that to yourself. Um, yes, there are places, there are people that are struggling, and it may be important to keep in perspective that those struggles are struggles you would not wish to have for yourself. That doesn't mean that the struggles you're having aren't also important. It doesn't mean that the pain or the anxiety, the stress that you're feeling isn't also perfectly legitimate. So keep things in perspective and have gratitude for what you have, but don't minimize what you're going through either because what you're going through, what you're feeling is legitimate, it is valid, and that's okay. You need to make sure that you do that too. So those are my three rules. I have a random question for you. Um, yes. So where do you think that um, like tendency comes from for people to try to minimize other people's emotions or almost like in some cases have that like game of one upmanship of when you say like you have something bad going on for you and it's like, oh, you think that's bad. Let me tell you what's bad. Like, where do you feel like that urge comes from? I think it comes from two places. I think some people are natural martyrs. There's one in every group, you know, like there's either that one person you work with or in that group of girlfriends, that like, woe is me, you know, I, you know, you chip a nail, they've lost a finger. So I think that there's that <laughs> happens. And I think there's some of them that they genuinely think they're being helpful. Um, and, uh, you know, we have talked about, uh, talked about this in previous conversations that someday I'm going to write a book called Good People, Bad Advice. People think they're genuinely being helpful uh, by telling you that it could be worse. Um, and what they're doing unintentionally is, is minimizing and diminishing your feelings. And what we really need is for people to listen um, and, to, and to be heard. And, and everybody is entitled to that. I really want people to know that you are entitled to have somebody listen and to truly hear you and to just tell you, you're entitled to feel how you feel. Um, you know, and I think uh, the, the newest phrase I've heard most recently is first world problems. <laughs> uh, and it's not that there isn't some legitimacy to that. Yes, when you live in a developed country, the problems that you struggle with are not necessarily the same as somebody who's living uh, in some of the less developed or God forbid war-torn places in this world. That said, the problems that we experience are still very real. Um, and still very valid, worrying about things like um, putting food on the table, educating children, keeping the lights on. All of those things are very, very real. And some of those things um, are things that are universal. Why are we here? Um, will I wake up in the morning? What happens if I lose someone? Will I get ill? And I think that for whatever reason, um, I don't know if it's cultural or what, no, we've got it into our heads that, you know, if we remind somebody that there is somebody out there worse than us, that it is going to make us feel better. I have not found that to be the case. Um, <laughs> at best, all it does is make you feel guilty for having feelings. And, and that's just not a good idea. Like don't make somebody feel guilty for having feelings. 
you know, we feel how we feel. That's, that's part of being human is having emotions. And the last thing we need to do if we're gonna help somebody is to make them feel guilty for being a human being. So I'm not, I'm not entirely sure uh, how it got started, but it's a terrible habit and we need to break it. Yeah, I like that. A lot of good intentions um, behind lots of really bad habits that we develop that need to be broken. So thanks for answering my question. That makes a lot of sense. <laughs> All right. So when you go into life coaching, um, these might be things that you process with your life coach about, um, you know, like when people want to, you know, switch to a new job. They might get from people, why do you want to get a new job? Your job is just fine. You should be happy where you are. You should want to change your job. In a life coaching, you will get that freedom to say, this isn't about what other people think I should or should not be doing. This is about truly how I feel about my position at this workplace or how I feel about this relationship. And um, having that space and that freedom, that timinos, if you will, having that sacred space to explore what is ultimately going to work best for you. So that's what a life coach can provide. So, you know, be prepared. If you go into life coaching, you're going to have some of these very unusual, but highly productive conversations where you do get to fully explore every emotional state that you have regarding an issue and get to find out what's true for you, what's true to your goals, your uh, purpose and passion, to me, P words there, um, finding out what's going to make you truly happy. And you get that freedom to that to explore that. And also you're going to be working with an individual that doesn't have a pony in the race is how I put it. Um, sometimes you might try to have these conversations with family members or friends and um, they might even kind of on the surface be supportive of you, but they have their own buy-in, you know, sitting and having a conversation with your significant other about how much you hate your job. Um, you know, if they rely on your income as well, they're not exactly going to be neutral when you say you hate the job and you just want to move on. They might um, very much love you and want what's best for you, but still be a little bit prone to say, well, you should just be happy you have a job that allows you to support the family. So they, they might kind of shut down some of those emotional responses because they have too much fear themselves um, about what it would mean if you quit the job or tried a new one to move on. Whereas a life coach does not have a dual relationship with you. They don't interact with you outside of that session. Um, so they get to be neutral and they really get to truly listen to you and explore with you about what your path is going to be. With that being said, there, you know, for all of our emotional states, there are accountability. I like to tell people a lot, I will never judge someone else's emotion, but I'll judge your behavior all day long. Um, but what that looks like is um, logical grounded accountability for expectations for outcomes, because you can have any emotional state and not judge it, but we do have to take active control of our choices to generate desired outcomes in our life. And you have to do really good reality testing. So to use that example of the job, you can hate your job and want out of it. And I as a lawyer would not judge that for two seconds. Um, but then if you, you know, think about getting that job as a, you know, selling hot dogs in your cart on the street corner, but you say that you want to make a million dollars a year, uh, I might ex help you explore that a bit about how those two outcomes are connected um, as far as quitting one job and then going to sell those hot dogs, you know. Um, so I, you, know, you will do an exploration about being grounded, but again, without judgment, there is, there is just no judgment, no shoulds at all. Um, but there is, you know, realistic exploration. So, you know, be ready for that. It's, it's actually something a 
lot of people give feedback that they really value for life coaching is that release from laboring under other people's expectations. And also your life coach can help you release um, the expectations of others that you have internalized. That it's not even other people actively saying it to you today. It could be you saying it to yourself in a very unhealthy way. Um, and that's what we see for a lot of our anxiety that's not um, you know, it's not that therapy anxiety, you know, some anxiety is neurologically based, it has a basis and unbalanced neurotransmitters, like all of that, like that's go see a therapist, you may even need medication to manage that anxiety, because that has a very strong biological basis. But there are plenty of people without a mental health disorder, they're walking around anxious every single day, because they are scared about living under the expectations of others and scared about what change would mean for them, that this anxiety is just hovering for them all day long because they're not essentially being given permission to do what truly makes them happy. So those discussions might happen in life coaching. And you also might do something very weird in life coaching that I know I've gotten some weird looks about it. And the, the overarching term for it is somatic work that life coaches might have you do breathing exercises as you think about certain goals or outcomes. They might have you um, do scans of your body to see where you're holding negative emotional states such as anxiety. Um, you might think of a future outcome that you desire and if anxiety rises, you might do things to, to settle your body and work through the anxiety. Um, part of why we do that is there is a very strong mind-body connection, but the left hemisphere of your brain tends to dominate more with logical, rational thinking. It's also where you hold language. And the right hemisphere of your brain tends to do more of your emotional functioning, more of your abstract thought, um, the artistic side of the self. And sometimes you can't really logically think about things because your emotional state's too activated. And it's not even always that it's a clinically significant therapy issue. Sometimes without any diagnosis, just day to day, those shoulds, those expectations, the fear of change that we've been told to just dread in our life can generate enough anxiety. We can't logically think about working towards a goal or trying to achieve a particular outcome. And you may have seen this in a friend where you do say something about, like they say, I hate my job. And you're like, well, just get another one. And they seem to emotionally just like dysregulate. And it, when you get to the bottom of it, they may have um, a limiting belief that they should just be happy to have a job and they can't get another job that pays them just as much or better, that they feel like no other company could ever value them. They'll never be able to get a job somewhere else. And that, that's a lot of pure psychology behind that. And life coaching might help people release some of those limiting beliefs and the associated anxiety that comes with them. So you might verbally process through it and talk through it, but you might also be encouraged by your life coach to be more in tune with your body, understand where you're holding um, some of that stress and anxiety for yourself, you know, personally, and learning how to kind of regulate a little bit of that right hemisphere so the left can kick in a little bit more and help you really plan uh, about how to resourcefully meet some of the goals in your life. Um, so just some ideas. Suki, anything that you'd like to add to that or any observations you've made? Well, just thinking because, you know, we recorded our last one right around, uh, like right before Halloween, and uh, Thanksgiving uh, <laughs> is coming up, 
Um, and I'm thinking a lot about people having those uh, interesting conversations we have with family, like when are you going to get married? Um, I, I was expecting a grandchild at this Thanksgiving, where is it? Um, questions about, well, you know, when are you going to get a job or leaving that job or finishing or whatever? Um, and uh, I heard someone once say that oftentimes people that love us want what's good for us, but maybe not what's best for us. And I was wondering, uh, what do you uh, talk to your clients about with how they handle those situations when you have to sort of figure out a way to navigate that the choices you're making are the choices that are what's best for you, even when the person who loves you so much thinks you're not making choices that are good for you. Oh, gracious. Well, the, the first thing I tend to talk about um, or we explore within coaching is that typically, I mean, not in all cases, sometimes you will have just a full-blown toxic family member who's out to do you harm. But for the most part, like almost like what you said, they think they want what's best for you. Like they think, but I, I say like a lot of this is perspective taking. It is what they think is best for, for you from their perspective. And the bottom line, in my opinion, is nobody else on this planet gets to tell you what's best for you but you. But you can release some of that stress, release some of that anxiety, if instead of just feeling like somebody's like just coming at you, wagging that finger and judging, judging, judging you, you realize that a lot of it is about them loving you so much that they really do want good things for you. And they think by asking you these questions, and in some cases, even almost like nagging you or badgering you about it, that they're actually doing their part to try to get you on the right track so you can have a wonderful life. Um, so that's the first about, because we tend to make bad choices as far as how we communicate with others when we're really emotionally elevated in a negative way. So if you do go to some of these things <laughs> and you're like, wow, I'm really anxious about being here or I'm angry because someone made a comment to me, you lose a certain degree of control about how you communicate. And at least I know speaking for myself, I will tend to not communicate in the most effective way. I will have negative body language, I'll roll my eyes, like I'll huff and puff or get very clipped. Um, and that tends to not create the most healthy situation for communication to occur. So um, now the exact nature of a better way for the communication to occur to manage those interactions really varies from person to person. Like I've had some people that when we've been in coaching and they've been like, oh yeah, Thanksgiving's coming up and I'm going to have somebody ask me like blah, blah, blah. Like when are you going to have kids? When are you going to get married? When are you going to quit that job? When are you going to get a better paying job? When are you going to blah, 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 blah. Um, when they've got to a very good place, I've had some people say that the best, um, you know, kind of course of action for them is to somehow dodge it, um, just to allow it, the comments to roll off their back, like water off a duck's back kind of thing. And they've come up with strategies for how to honor the person put the information out there, but to prevent the nagging or the badgering. And so some people have come up with plans to change the topic of conversation, um, um, essentially, some will just reflect back 
to allow the person to know they've been heard. So what that might look like is, you know, sitting with your mother-in-law, so when you gonna give me that grandbaby? And just saying to them, wow, it's really important for you to have a grandchild. Um, and you think it would be really good for us to have the opportunity to have parents. I hear that that's very important to you and get up and go get some turkey. Like so you <laughs> let them know they were heard, you let them know where they're coming from, but you don't necessarily have to continue the conversation or give an answer. And that's a big cultural thing in the United States that I've noticed is that um, other cultures are a lot better about just not answering rude questions. <laughs> like, other cultures do a better job about like just not acknowledging if somebody asked them a question that was really inappropriate or changing. Like, oh my goodness, the, my gin and tonic is empty. I'll oh be my right goodness, I, I need another glass of wine. No, oh, pardon me. And in other cultures, that's more normative. Um, in the United States, I think maybe sometimes like we do, um, like need to learn how to skirt those questions a little bit more or become a little bit more comfortable with being assertive. But you do have to keep in mind some very well-intentioned people will perceive assertiveness as being rude. And I know a lot of people are trying to avoid that with family events or not trying to get things stirred up. But if you think you can navigate it well, like that, that parent that says, when are you going to give us some grandchildren uh, in a very loving and healthy way, you could reflect back. I understand that you feel like it's very important to you to have grandchildren and you feel like that would be a wonderful experience for us to have those children. But I would just really like you to honor that it's just not our time yet or and it may never be, you know, depending on what your situation is. And just kind of, you know, assertively drawing your, your line in the sand. For many people, I've had a, a weird conversation where I've said, um, you may be surprised how much your parents begin to treat you like an adult when you, when you begin to really truly act like one. And that's a, that's a whole nother topic of conversation that I feel like <laughs> when we um, go to family events, even when we're very grown people, like Suki and I both are in our 40s, it is so easy to regress back to a child role because you're with people that you've grown up with that have known you for a really long time. And they like that, you know, that parent still and some level of their psyche thinks about you like their little naughty teenager and that they need to lecture about things, but you can retrain people how to interact with you. You can be very adult in your response and you can have family members that have like a, oh shit, I can't talk to them that way anymore because they're all grown up. And it can create a situation that's very delightful. Um, but you you really have to, and this is, you know, life coaching can be great for this. You can actually practice these conversations with your life coach. Um, you can kind of play out different scenarios. Um, you can, um, you know, essentially build yourself up to be solid and how you want to respond in a healthy way in these situations. Now, with even all the prep in the world, we can't see the future. Sometimes things will happen that are a little bit unanticipated. But my policy is too, that if you planned out how you wanted to communicate with someone uh, and you know that you were just being assertive and not rude, not disrespectful, that you're expressing your truth in the kindest way possible and somebody else can't receive that, there's a level of toxicity there that if they really get mad, don't talk to you for a while, isn't that okay? Like maybe, maybe you need a break from a toxic person in your life. But ultimately in life coaching, that would be for you to choose. Do you want- Well, I have a certain level of introversion myself. So we- um, or in, in, in a year that there wasn't a global pandemic, 
Um, we do big, big holidays, but I get tired after all of that interaction. And it is a known thing in my family that for the first two weeks after New Year's, I am on a people break. So don't, <laughs> don't call me. I'm not going out. I'm not, no, I don't want to go to the movies. I'm not coming over. And it's not that I'm being rude, but I've just established over the years that I love you. I've spent a lot of time with you. And now I need to, and, and now I need a break from you. And I think that those healthy boundaries um, are a good thing. Um, I also uh, no longer give advice, so I no longer receive any. And I feel like that's a fair trade. <laughs> um, and that's something that I think we also uh, have to keep in mind is um, if you're getting a lot of unsolicited advice, you might keep in mind that maybe you're offering a lot of unsolicited advice. Oh, I love that. I feel like, yeah, we, yeah, I mean, there's that certain level of hold yourself accountable before you hold others accountable as well. So yeah, I like that kind of encouraging that personal reflection. Um, but I love what you just said, that kind of healthy boundaries and self-care. And especially when you're an introvert, like I think people who are extroverted do not realize how much energy it takes for you to function socially. And that can actually generate a lot of anxiety coming into the holidays to think about all these expectations that people will place on you for being hypersocial. Because, hey, don't you love your family? Don't you wanna spend eight hours with us on Thanksgiving? Don't you love your family? If you loved your family, you should just wanna spend all day with them and you should feel great. I have seen extroverts that do come into the holidays just lighting up like a Christmas tree themselves because they're like, oh my goodness, I'm gonna have all these days with people I love. Now, I love my family with every ounce of my soul, but I'm closer to that middle on the introversion. And so I start like kind of getting a little anxious thinking about Thanksgiving and Christmas and the expectation to socialize for very long amounts of time. Like I'm more of that whole, like, yeah, if I could be guaranteed, I could go for an hour or two and then I could leave, it would all be good. But I know they're not going to tolerate that on Thanksgiving. So I, I'm with you. So yeah, I know I'm going to be absolutely worn out. Um, and I never officially made the declaration of two weeks without people, but I went down to my hole and conveniently not respond to very many text messages and would make no plans for leaving the house for a good amount of time. And um, that I think relates back to so much of this. I, I, I want to make a poster or something or put it on my Instagram tagline or whatnot and to say like, I don't need your permission for my self-care. And the fact that you can anticipate pushback a little bit from some people being like, what do you mean you need two weeks? It's like, I just do. And I, I know what's right for me and what's gonna help me function optimally psychologically. And at no point am I asking for your permission to, know, to do what I know is right for me. But um, sometimes people, again, I think it's a generational thing. I actually think we're getting a little bit better, a little bit better um, as a society about understanding that. Um, but, you know, well-meaning other people in your family might come at you because they're worried about you being alone for the holidays. And, you know, they could be coming from a very good place, wondering that you don't like them and that's why you don't want to interact with them for like 16 hours in a single day for the holidays. Do, have I offended you? Do you not like me? We're not going to be close. We're going to be too distant. It's like, no, I love you in small doses. I'm just tired. <laughs> I'm just so yeah. tired. It's not about you. I'm just so tired. Yeah. And that has been something that's been very lovely that my incredibly introverted husband has said to me. 
He's like, I say this in the most loving way possible. It's not always about you, honey. It's just not. <laughs> so sometimes I'm having a bad day or I'm in a bad mood or I need to go isolate. And I do divert, like I tend to have that. Did I do something that made you angry? Like, are you mad at me? And it's like, it's not. And that's that really isn't the best way possible. It's not always about you. Like your need to not be around people is not about any particular family member pissing you off. It's about introversion and self-care and just needing to have your own company and decompress. And that's actually something that's good to keep in mind for people that lean more on the anxious side in general, um, is that maybe it's not about you. Maybe that guy that cut you off is just an asshole. Maybe it wasn't about you. Maybe the lady that's, you know, you know, being cranky in the grocery store, maybe she's just having a bad day. And it's not about you. Um, I did have a conversation with somebody in her 20s and she was saying that she didn't want to go to this party and you know, she was worried about how she was going to look in this and that and the other. And I said, honey, I got news for you. Nobody's going to be paying any attention. I wouldn't worry about it. And I said, and let's face it, they're going to talk about you anyway, so you might as well do what you want. <laughs> you know, and I said, but um, as, as crazy as sounds, sometimes it can be helpful to remember that it's not about you and that you're not the center of the universe. Nobody's looking. You can do whatever you want, you know? Um, and and realizing you're not in a spotlight can sometimes be helpful in alleviating a sense of anxiety and stress. Um, so, you know, do, you know, whatever, whatever you need to do to sort of own your own individuality, you can just sort of realize, wait a minute, nobody's paying attention to me. Hey, I can do whatever I want. <laughs> and um, something I, and I need to actually look at this research study because I feel like these numbers pop up a lot and somebody needs to have a concrete reference for the study but you I know so you've heard about like 90% of how people treat you is about them not even about you so this whole like using this example like if you go to a Christmas party and, or a Thanksgiving you know event and people are talking about you um it's a lot about, it speaks more to who they are as a person if they're talking crap about you more than it does about whether you're an odd person who dressed funny or whatnot. Because to give a concrete example, if I showed up dressed somewhat inappropriately to an event, a kind person who's a loving, wonderful ind individual would, if anything, have just a moment about, oh, like, you know, I'm, I'm I wonder if everything's okay with her. Like she didn't dress appropriately for the event, but a really awesome person would probably go out of their way because they were worried about me to make sure I felt uh, accepted. Like they'd be that person that would see the outcast at a party that was standing in the quarter by themselves and would make a beeline to go talk to them. So they weren't isolated. They would welcome them into conversations. Like, and that is speaking about that person. Like, so yeah, you showed up maybe dressed a little oddly for the party, but a good person tries to make you feel at home. Conversely, the person that's gonna talk shit about you and how you showed up at the party, that's much more of a reflection of a shitty person they are than it is that you've really done anything that wrong or that bad. Um, so yeah, 90% of how people treat you, 90% of what people get out of interactions with us is more about them than it is about anything specifically that we did. And I can take it to a really weird psychology place because I am a psychology geek. And it's rooted in this idea that all of us have our own schemata, 
which is the official plural for schemas of how we <laughs> I'm geeking out today. Woohoo! Um, so like we have a template or a framework. So if we see somebody do something, we have a template for people do that because, and we apply our schemata to everything we process about the world around us. And sometimes it gives us a shortcut to understand the world and allows for cognitive efficiency. Sometimes it causes us to, causes us to be wrong and horribly biased. So, um, you know, it's the, how the human mind works is fascinating, but sometimes it will systematically kind of leave it, lead us in a bad direction if we don't watch it. So the more that we can give other people latitude in certain situations, and if all of us, just, if every single one of us just worked towards being less judgy, the world would be a better place. So, and just to get like super geeky, to geek it up one more level, you have to watch for, be careful you're not making your own fundamental attribution errors so you know everybody always likes to talk about you never get uh, a second chance to make a first impression just so you know most of your first impressions are probably wrong because you know you can't you know everybody uh, uh, well, there's thing in organizational management for a long time about taking a snapshot of your employees this is what's really going on here's the thing that doesn't work like you take a snapshot of two people talking and you think they're slacking off. Well, no, they could be talking about something that's wrong. They could be talking about a crisis in their personal life. They could be trying to find out somebody that's missing. That snapshot tells you nothing. It's the same thing with people. That person may be having a really, really bad day. Um, so that snapshot you're getting isn't necessarily of a terrible person. It's somebody having a bad moment. And people are gonna be doing that to you. So you just have to remember that uh, you know, you, you have to be careful not to attribute what you're seeing of somebody in that moment to that whole person. And if you can give somebody that grace, then maybe somebody will give that grace to you. Heck, try giving that grace to yourself. Um, you know, <laughs> you know, um, I see this a lot with, um, I don't have children myself I'm working on it, but I don't have children myself. And, um, I have a friend who, you know, she had a bad moment. She yelled at her son. She called me. She was so upset. She couldn't give herself the grace to realize that at that moment, she was the mom who lost her temper and yelled at her son. At that moment, she forgot that, that all the other moments, she was such a wonderful mom. Sometimes you got to give yourself a little grace and remember that you're only anxious for the moment. You won't be anxious forever. You're only angry in the moment. You won't be angry forever. So sometimes we have to give ourselves a little grace from our own bad first impressions too. But, um, you know, you have to be really, really conscious of the fact that people are going to judge you in a snapshot in a moment and they might attribute it to your whole personality. Don't let that weigh on you. Um, that's definitely a should you don't want to let. And don't do that to other people. And you will be surprised when you take that little bit of extra step to get to know somebody outside um, that, how much that will make you feel better and be less stressful for you because all of a sudden, the two freaks in the room have found each other and now neither of you are alone at the party. That's always the best time when you're like, are you weird like me? Oh my goodness, I have found my tribe, let's hang out. That makes for the best time, so yeah. I like that. So anxiety and life coaching, learning how to 
give yourself grace, can lessen your anxiety, learning how to not labor under the expectations of others, finding out where you've internalized the limiting beliefs given to you by other people and stirring that shit up and getting rid of them, challenging those unhealthy maladaptive thoughts and restructuring them to allow yourself to actually live with a lot more joy and happiness instead of in this little ball of anxiety that um, a lot of us get rolled into by many years on this planet. So uh, crack that ball open, crack that nut open and blossom like the little flower you are. Um, so on that note, if after hearing this, you've decided that life coaching might be the path for you, both Suki and I are right now taking clients and you can go to our websites and schedule with us. Um, so for my website, it's very simple. It's mistymarlow.com. That's M-I-S-T-Y-M-A-R-L-O-W-E.com. And you can go to the scheduling portion of the website and get on the calendar. And Suki, I'll let you give your information. Um, and you can reach me at Wild Essentia, W-Y-L-D-E-S-S-E-N-T-I-A.com. That's Wild Essentia. All right, that wraps up episode two for Tempest and a Temenos. We'll see you next time. And as my grandma always used to say, if you can't be good, be good at it. Woohoo! <laughs> <laughs>